<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win this. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen, our week in entertainment, and an artist whose career we'd like to put in focus. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week we're grabbing our binoculars and some caviar and riding around the Big Apple in a hot red convertible, because there's some sleuthing to do in Sofia Coppola's latest film, On the Rocks. On the Rocks stars Rashida Jones as Laura a successful writer living in New York with her husband, Dean, played by Marlon Wayans, and their two adorable daughters. When Dean launches a new business venture, he becomes distracted and distant. Laura, rushing around her days taking care of their girls and fruitlessly trying to work on her new book, starts to feel alone and suspects that Dean may be having an affair with his sexy younger co-worker. Enter Laura's man-about-town dad, Felix, played by the inimitable Bill Murray. Felix thinks it's a no-brainer that Dean is cheating, And so begins their adventure to uncover his secret affair. On the Rocks asks the question, just how far is the distance between Mars and Venus? (laughs) First impression, Helen. My first impression, this movie is about rich people problems. (laughs) (laughs) Sinclair? First impression, I have to sign up for Apple Plus to watch this. (laughs) Uh, what's my Apple ID again? Oh no, do I have to reset my password? Oh, am I going to need to cancel this at some point? Oh, okay, what else is on Apple Plus? Oh, literally nothing. Okay, um, maybe I'll watch the morning show. Wow, there's nothing else I want to watch on this. Okay, I might as well start on the rocks now. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, remember the good old days where you either just went to the theater or you went to Blockbuster and rented a movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the more technological <laughs> effort I have to put into watching something, the worse my mood gets. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Classic senior citizen. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay, so my first impression, I really liked how this movie began. It opens with Bill Murray in voiceover saying, don't give your heart to any boys, you're mine. Until you get married, then you're still mine. And the young girl <laughs> replies, okay, dad. And it's cute, but also is it? And so kind of right right off the bat, we're (laughs) being given a clue as to like what the central conflict of the movie will potentially be. And then within just a couple of minutes of the opening, we have that moment where Dean like comes home and wakes her up with some sexy kisses and then sort of snaps out of a trance and awkwardly stops the boom boom train before it's even left the station. So (laughs) like five minutes in and we've got our inciting incident and the setting and I'm I'm excited to see where the story Mm. goes from here. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we get into the storytelling, Edison? Okay. Well, in terms of storytelling, just again to the beginning, I do think the film does a great job of establishing the relationships between the characters and the world that we're in right at the beginning. Like Mm -hmm. the opening shots of Dean and Laura at their wedding in some very fancy old school like glam location somewhere in New York. Mm They have that fun little moment together where they run off and go for a swim. So we see they have this like playful connection. 
And then we cut to, you know, some unspecified time some years later. And we see them now with their kids in New York. And the thing about any film or TV show we know that's set in New York is that the city itself becomes Mm. a feature in the storytelling. And it's like, it's because there's just so many different New Yorks. And like you said, Mm -hmm. Helen, in your opening, uh, in your first impression, you know, this is a story about rich people problems. And yeah, Laura and Dean don't live in Seinfeld's New York or Friends New York. Mm -hmm. No. They're definitely more wealthy. And even those are wealthy. (laughs) Yeah. They're more like the characters and girls, but like 10 years later, much more successful when they've got like sex in the city money. Right. But then there's Bill Murray, who is like straight up Gossip Girl rich. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one of my big takeaways from this movie is that it feels just steeped in privilege, Mm -hmm. in rich privilege, which I didn't dislike, but it was so hard for me to not notice it at every turn, Mm -hmm. especially given this movie coming out now. There was just so many glaring things where I was like, oh gosh, this is a little out of touch, I think, for the current climate. However, I, I found this movie really enjoyable, to be honest. I don't think that the storytelling is anything special or is saying anything profound necessarily, but it feels to me like what a Noah Baumbach movie would feel like if I liked Noah Baumbach movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sinclair? She yeah. about to sneeze. No, that, oh. that, was, that, was, that was my thinking face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, used to your thinking this... face looking like you've just been like stung by a bee or something. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, this, yeah, this story is okay. Right. <laughs> I found it to be entertaining in a light, easy viewing way, but overall, this is pretty basic. Mm-hmm. It's a bit outdated too. It felt a little mm-hmm. 2004. <laughs> to me, the storytelling was just, it was a, a little uninspired for me. Mm. It isn't really a movie that explores the real complexities of the father-daughter relationships or the struggle of marriage, uh, the struggle of marriage after kids, too. It doesn't really delve into infidelity and mistrust, really. It all, it's all very light, and it felt like it's a movie that's safe enough to entice people to sign up for a streaming service that's what it felt like (laughs) to me you know there's a well-known director there's well-known actors there's a draw for people to sign up for apple tv this didn't feel like a film to me lost in translation was a film directed Mm. by Sofia Coppola this was a movie it didn't have any sort of vision to it yeah it was this was pretty uninspired for Mm. me this felt a little bit like a ploy (laughs) <laughs> yes, I can agree with most of what you're saying, Sinclair. But it it was okay for me. Well, because... right. I said it was entertaining in a light, easy viewing way. It's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. Right. Yeah. Right. I just, I guess, you know, especially with the stuff that we discuss on this podcast, you know, so often we're looking for those deep, introspective, layered, heavily thematic films. And sometimes it's kind of nice to just get something like this that's like, not too deep, not too serious, not too intense, has some really enjoyable actors that you want to watch and a beautiful setting. And you're kind of just like, you know Mm. what? That's enough. That was, 
that did the trick for me in an entertaining movie kind of way. There's just some really beautiful scenes and dedication to New York in this. Mm. A lot, actually. Mm -hmm. And like gorgeous set pieces and beautiful landscape shots of the city skyline and like the car chase scene, which was actually amazing. (laughs) I appreciated the visual element of the storytelling in this for sure. But I think we are all kind of touching on the same thing, right? Um, Mm. Where it just doesn't land right now. Mm -hmm. Well-off people have problems too. We know this. Having money doesn't mean that life is easy. You still have all of these same complications that everybody else has. It's just a whole fucking lot easier. And the timing right now is just weird because we're Mm -hmm. at a very unique point of that disparity between those who have and those who have not has is just so pronounced that I think we're just have a natural aversion to mm-hmm. seeing and being forced to like sympathize or empathize with those who have right now. Yeah. I, and I mean, you've already kind of touched on this scene, Edison, but the scene where they are driving around in the convertible and then Bill Murray gets pulled over and just smooth talks his way out of a ticket to me, I don't know about you guys, but I cringed at that scene because I was like, oh, this is just so privilege, 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 privilege. You know, other people are getting shot when they get pulled over by cops and Bill Murray just gets to sweet talk his way out of a ticket and drive off in his convertible and eat expensive caviar. Like there was, it's, yeah, I just, it it sits really differently than I think it maybe would if it came out at a different time. Well, it also doesn't, it also just isn't realistic, actually. Yeah. Like, she's married to a black man. Her mother mm-hmm. is black. She's got two black daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not realistic that she would have been like, oh, dad, you're so cute in that moment. Although it is mm-hmm. an interesting thing about his character. Bill Murray, okay, I love how his character is written in this film. And I, do I can't <laughs> I can't think of another actor who could have played it and we'll get to performances but I like his character because he is really gross and mm. kind of repulsive but also incredibly witty, incredibly charming, incredibly confident and assured of his own place in this world and he's exciting and fun. Mm. It makes for this really kind of interesting character to watch on screen, especially when you've got an actor like that playing him. Um, so that scene I thought was really kind of cool because of all of the the things that we were talking about coming together there. But ultimately, I was just like, wait a minute, you are living in New York and married to a black man. Like you would not, mm. this is not going to ring like this to you. You would have been no, like, fuck right. dad, please, can you wake up and realize your privilege right now or something? Right. And I mean, this was a deliberate choice to pair Rashida Jones with Bill Murray. So there is this element of race that isn't touched on at all. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, it's just, it's not fluffy. It's not something that you can just, you know, fluff off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about the kind of conversations that were running throughout this whole film? Like, it seemed to be a discourse on, like, can men and women actually understand each other? Are men just governed by their, like, primal nature? This is such an outdated idea to explore. Like, this whole thing. Right. Is my husband cheating on me with his sexy co-worker and oh my dad is this play it's it's so I found it to just be so basic yeah it is you know if an indie filmmaker 
ha- wrote this script, there's no way it would have gotten made. There's nothing interesting about it. No. <laughs> um, but there's part of me that does feel like I want to defend it because maybe movies don't always have to be having their finger on the pulse talking about the hottest issues. You know, I I think you can still know. do a lighthearted film and and it can still have some witty dialogue and some substance to it. See, but I did I do feel like it <laughs> had know. it in the relationship between Rashida Jones and Bill Murray. I think that watching them interact with one another and watching him like dominate the scenes that he was in, that's what made this movie sparkle to but me. But I think that's definitely more performances. I would attribute that more to performances than the actual writing you know, what they were actually sure. saying to each other. One big red flag for me in, in terms of story is when I sit down to do my notes for this podcast and I realize that I don't have a ton to say. Yeah. That's that's a big red flag. And, it, you know, it's, it's fine if you want to, you know, sit at home and just watch this and not think about it the next day. That's great. But unfortunately, the three of us do a podcast. So when we sit yeah. down to really pick something apart and analyze it, you do look at it in terms of does this movie have a a real core to it (laughs) but i do think that it does in a way like i think okay we're giving a lot of credit to the performances and they do carry it there are conversations here about like do we marry our parents what happens how do we come out from the pain and that has been inflicted upon us and the damage done to us by mm. our parents. When do we find our own sense of agency and do we have to actually emancipate ourselves and cut ourselves from them? Yeah, and I, but I think that's that's exactly the problem is that, you know, especially for women, our fathers do shape our view of men mm. in a lot of ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it is the truth of the situation that they do to some degree. The father-daughter relationship is, is very, very complex. And... This movie just doesn't go there. I don't know. I guess I just watched it and I just felt like a little paint by numbers mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. It's just broad brushstrokes of the father-daughter experience. By the end of it, when we realized that, spoiler alert, he's not actually cheating on her, there was a part of me, and I thought this, thought this throughout the whole film, like whether he's cheating on her or not, he's being pretty shitty. Well, I know. Like, he, Dean sucked. Yeah, and that kind of... Like, how would she... Okay, having a Playboy dad aside, who wouldn't think that Dean was cheating on you? Of course, of course. I mean, you could have the best dad in the world and still be like, Dean is clearly a cheater. (laughs) Like, it it didn't make sense. That 180 at the end where Dean is suddenly cool now. It's like, no, Dean. I found (laughs) that that a bit cheesy when she was so, like, profusely apologizing to him. Like yeah, I was like, no, girl, stand up for yourself. It's like, Dean, you're shady. <laughs> also, what 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 was that moment when he didn't recognize her? Like, then what was that? Was never addressed, <laughs> yeah. and that was actually never addressed. Yeah. That was a, a yeah. flaw too. Where I was like, wait, but you didn't come back to that to explain yeah. that yeah. to us. But I also think like two people are in a relationship, right? She never had a conversation with him. If if you're married to somebody and they're being distant, mm. it's on him to like be present of course but it's also on her to say like yo where have you been i need you Mm. here i have no idea how we would have reacted because exactly the the movie doesn't actually go into it at all in that (laughs) sense yeah that aspect of it was lacking which when you think about the premise of the film that's kind of the main storyline so i guess we should have gotten a little more information but like that those conversations should have happened and they didn't 
they're living in the same world as as uh, Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver in Marriage Story. It's just that, like, mm. think about how deep and complex that relationship was. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, why don't we get into the performances? I mean, we've already touched on it, but I love, I freaking love Bill Murray so much. Like, how do you not like him? Even yeah. when he's being gross. Like, it, there's still that aspect of his personality where you want to give him a second and third and fourth and fifth chance. <laughs> Yeah. And I think another thing that was cool about his character and the way that he was kind of written, he could have been and performed by Bill Murray, is he carries his like wealth and privilege and status with such a casual manner. And I think also it certainly was intentional that he knew everybody's name. Mm. every person that he bumped into every doorman every bartender everybody you know what I mean when he saw that cop and he was like wait I know your father I know your grandfather I was at that thing that tells you something about the character he's not Mm -hmm. this like disconnected arrogant rich guy he's somebody who actually does care and pays attention to what's going on with other people which Mm -hmm. does make you like him also he's fun yeah yeah everybody wants to hang out with Bill Murray yeah. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. Like yeah. There were a lot of moments in this with um, Rashida Jones spending time with him where I really understood what she was feeling because I have a very bold, talkative mm-hmm. father who has As a very, very big presence and knows everyone wherever he walks in. Mm-hmm. And. It is a just a constant like, okay, can we go now? Can we go now? Oh, I have to talk to this person and this person and this person. And there were definite moments where I related to that <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I feel like that was the strongest thing for me was just watching their relationship. Yeah, I think they really work together. I didn't think that Marlon Wayan and Rashida Jones work together, though. I found their scenes to be really wooden. There was a lot of moments in this I just found to be quite wooden. I they just they had zero chemistry and I understand that they're supposed to have some sort of divide in their marriage but at the same right. time it felt like it was more the actors than it was the characters. I don't yeah, I just found the some of the acting to be quite wooden especially from Marlon Wayan, which I yeah. I generally like him. I have to agree with you on that. I felt that they did not have any chemistry whatsoever and yeah. I think it's him. He. I think that, I don't know that it's his fault as an actor. We've seen him be great in all kinds of things. That character is just incredibly bland. There's nothing right. to mm-hmm. it. And he's doing his best. But all I could think of, honestly, was like, how does he still look this like young and hot? <laughs> he really was very one-dimensional in that performance. Mm-hmm. There was very little to go by. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't, I agree with you. There was no no chemistry there. I did not buy them as a couple that have been together for that, however long. Right. I would like to give a shout out to Jenny Slate for playing the annoying mom at the school. <laughs> I love Jenny Slate so much. And every time we got a little scene with her, I just, I, I just wanted more. I, I think she's really funny and... It was yeah. It was nice to see her in something. I appreciated her. I definitely did not want more. In fact, any, really, the smallest dose. Not of not against her performance, but just that person. You know what I mean? For that sure. Character. I mean, she's meant to be annoying, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So this film is an A twenty four film, and it didn't feel like it <laughs> at all. Mm. 
usually with A24 films, they're quite visionary. And that's the special thing about A24. Now, A24 and Apple have a multi-year agreement. Which you already hate. To produce (laughs) original films for Apple TV through A24. That makes me nervous a, a, a bit because I do love A24 films so much and they've been so groundbreaking and Mm -hmm. boundary pushing and just artistic and um, there's a lot of creative freedom with those Mm. films so after seeing this I was like I don't know slippery slope but we'll see all right so what is the last word for us on on the rocks Helen on the rocks felt like sipping on a classic cocktail that you love nothing too fancy but it tastes sweet and makes you feel warm and fuzzy (laughs) yes (laughs) Uh, The last word for me was that I thought that this film was good. I enjoyed it. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't anything I was going to rave about. But I thought that really the highlight was Bill Murray and Rashida Jones and their kind of dynamic and their really like sparkling chemistry. It's worth a watch, but it's nothing great. Last word for me on The Rocks is a very safe movie that is good for some easy viewing. It's easy. It's nice. Mm. Just have a (laughs) bottle of wine and and (laughs) watch it with a blanket. It's, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, it's a movie experience that serves up less of a stiff drink and more of a pumpkin spice latte. Oh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> you literally consume one to two pumpkin spice lattes I every single day. I love them. <laughs> Full admission. You're welcome. Love it. Helen got <laughs> me on them. <laughs> Each week, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. This week's theme is, looks like you could use a drink. This is our week in <laughs> entertainment. Who wants to go first? Helen always goes first. I, I don't, but fine. I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys. I watched a movie from the year 2000. It's not Coyote Ugly. <laughs> I know. We were hoping you were going to do Coyote Ugly. I actually thought, I did think about it. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> no, I, I decided to watch uh, Sexy Beast. Directed oh, by Jonathan Glazer. Nice. Oh. Yeah. Starring Ben Kingsley and Ray Winstone. IMDb describes this movie as brutal gangster Don Logan recruits retired safe cracker Gal for one last job, but it goes badly for both of them. I have been wanting to watch this movie for so long. Mm-hmm. I've heard from so many people about Ben Kingsley's performance in it and how amazing it is. And I have to say, it exceeded my expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he right. is unbelievable in this movie. I cannot say enough good things. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I don't think I've have ever seen, seen that. No. Oh, you have to watch it, Edison. It's so good, and it's an easy watch. Like, I think it's only about an hour and a half or hour and forty minutes, and it flies by. Yeah. Mm. So. This movie starts with Ray Winstone's character, Gal, lounging by his pool at his hillside Spanish villa, thriving in his retired life, sipping a cocktail. Uh, He gets up to take a phone call and a giant boulder comes barreling down the hillside and crashes into his pool, narrowly missing him. So this is an excellent opening that provides us with some really interesting foreshadowing, in my opinion. And, I mean, I might be taking a little leeway with this, but I was like, this kind of fits in with this episode because... 
his pool is literally on the rocks <laughs> after this occurrence. <laughs> this yeah. massive rock is in his pool. So Gal gets word that Don Logan, so this is Ben Kingsley's character, has requested him for a job and is flying to Spain to physically recruit him. Uh, he receives this information over dinner from his friends. And this is one of the best scenes I've seen in, in a film in terms of behavior from actors. Mm. Like ever? Yes. Wow. Because it's so telling and so specific. But basically, Gal and his wife are waiting for their friends to arrive, and the friends arrive, and you can cut the tension with a machete in this Mm. scene. It is so, so tense. And the friend's wife is constantly uh, yelling for a brandy. So everybody in this scene looks like they could use a drink, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then the entrance that we get to Ben Kingsley's character is so epic. He's walking through the airport holding his suit jacket, And like holding it out at such an angle so specifically and then carrying his rolling suitcase in the other hand and it looks like the veins are going to burst out of his head. (laughs) It's another just excellent moment of behavior from an actor, an entrance to a character. And then the rest of the movie is so incredibly tense. It's wonderful. And I will say that every single moment in this film you could give anyone a drink and it wouldn't suffice. Like every single character in this movie needs about a hundred drinks at any given moment in time. (laughs) (laughs) I highly recommend this film. It earned Ben Kingsley his third Oscar nomination. I just found him really terrifying. He is very terrifying. He's like, he's just, he's scary. (laughs) He is scary. And it's, but it's so effective. Like as an actor watching that, it's, you I just wanted to eat up every second of it because it's so engaging and so specific like you can tell that he made such specific choices mm-hmm. you know he says one word and it's like the scariest thing you've ever heard yeah mm. so yes if you've never seen sexy beast from 2000 check it out it's it's wonderful it's a it's a wild ride mm-hmm. nice okay edison what was your pick all right so my film this week is death becomes her from 1992 ah. Directed by Robert Zemeckis and starring Goldie Hawn, Meryl Streep, and Bruce Willis. Goldie Hawn plays Helen Sharp. And at the beginning of the film, she's engaged to Bruce Willis's character, Dr. Ernest Menville, a brilliant plastic surgeon. Helen decides to introduce him to her longtime rival, Madeline Ashton. That is Meryl Streep, who's now a successful Hollywood actress in the film. To see if he can pass the Madeline Ashton test. So named because of Madeline's history of stealing all of Helen's men. (laughs) Alas, Ernest does not pass the test, and we immediately cut to their wedding. (laughs) There being Madeline and Ernest's wedding. (laughs) Cut to seven years later. Goldie Hawn in a ridiculous fat suit in her little apartment, eating ice cream out of a tub with her bare hands right into her mouth with eight million cats, cupboards full of cat food. (laughs) Looking absolutely ghastly and absolutely hilarious. She is not thriving. So then she's in a hospital, a mental hospital, with surrounded by all these other people. And a counselor says, you have to erase Madeline Ashton from your mind. And then Helen has this moment of clarity. You're right. I have to erase Madeline Ashton. And then it cuts to another seven years later. This is all in like the first 10 minutes of the movie. We've had oh two seven-year jumps. <laughs> 
So now we're in LA, in Hollywood. Ernest and Madeline are not a marital bliss. Now Goldie Hawn's character makes her return and she is looking more sensational than ever. Obviously, Meryl Streep's character cannot abide that. And their rivalry continues. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, (laughs) surprise. So Helen (laughs) is like trying to get her man back, but she's getting revenge, right? The whole thing turns when Madeline meets Isabella Rossellini, who (laughs) is absolutely spectacular in this role as a woman named Lise von Ruman, and she is this like mysterious wit, not witch, but like she's a, a salesperson effectively of this immortality potion. It, this is the pitch to Meryl Streep's character. You look like you could use a drink of this potion that will give you <laughs> life everlasting and you will never age another day and it will reverse the aging process. So she takes this potion and looks a million years younger and looks in- incredible. The film is amazing. Uh, It's absolutely hilarious because then Bruce Willis kills her, but she doesn't die, of course. And then she kills Goldie Hawn, uh, but then she doesn't die, of course, because they've both taken this potion. There's a lot of really interesting, like, CGI graphics that are actually quite impressive for 1992. Like, <laughs> Goldie Hawn is missing a whole huge... There's a whole huge hole through her midsection. Through, yeah, her stomach. Yeah, yeah. Her stomach. You can, like, see yeah. through it. And Meryl Streep's head is never quite right. It keeps falling sideways or falling down <laughs> or getting twisted around. But it, it gives them so much opportunity for great physical comedy And Mm -hmm. I thought that Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn together are brilliant pairing because Mm -hmm. they are totally different types of actresses. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Goldie Hawn is like a slapstick comedian and Meryl Streep we think of as being like, you know, a serious actress or whatever. But she's also really fucking funny. Yeah, I thought this was a really, 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 really fun watch. Like it holds up way better than I expected it to. The story about like women rivalry and having to be young and all of that is a bit whatever. Um, but it is also just like a satire on well, Hollywood. Making fun of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The absurdity of like what they go through in Hollywood to like stay forever young. But really, this is like movie stars in their actual peak. And I love nothing more than watching that and just seeing mm. them play off one another. Meryl and Goldie is like a, an absolute joy. So, yeah, if you haven't seen Death Becomes Her, you really should rewatch it. I used to love renting this one from uh, Jumbo Video. Yes. <laughs> I, used, I remember the VHS cover very Aww. clearly. What did you pick, Sinclair? All right. Well, I was catching some heck from a couple of friends who are big movie lovers, and I was mm-hmm. catching a lot of heck from them because oh, I God. have. The heck? Never seen Dog Day Afternoon. Oh. From 1975, directed by Sidney Lumet. And this stars Al Pacino in his heyday. Uh (laughs) Truly. Quick synopsis via IMDb. Three amateur bank robbers plan to hold up a bank. A nice, simple robbery. Walk in, take the money, and run. Unfortunately, the uncomplicated heist suddenly becomes a bizarre nightmare as everything that could go wrong does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dog Day Afternoon is a classic movie from the 70s that has always been on my list, and I've just never watched it before. And I thought, okay, this sounds like a, a day. <laughs> so mm-hmm. someone could probably use a drink in this film. <laughs> oh my God, yes. So it's interesting because this is actually based on a real bank robbery. 
that oh, happened in 1972 that. in New York. Yeah, and it was orchestrated by a man named John Wodowich. In the film, that they changed the name to Sonny, and he's played by Al <laughs> A bit easier to get through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But right off the bat, the film opens and these three men are they're going in to rob this bank and it's supposed to be this really quick in and out, but everything just starts to go wrong right away. One of his guys says, I can't do this. I need to bow out. And he takes off. And mm. when Al Pacino, uh, playing Sonny, goes into the bank's vault, there's no money. Mm-hmm. They had come oh. and actually picked up the money that morning. So he's trying to steal traveler's checks. There is one point when he's trying to get rid of some of the evidence and he starts a fire in a wastebasket and the fire is going out the window and it's basically alerting people that something's going on in this bank. So soon all the police are surrounding this bank and it becomes a media circus Hmm. and it's just filled with police officers, reporters and bystanders and it turns into this full-blown hostage situation mm-hmm. so it gets pretty crazy and the thing about Sonny is he is not a smooth criminal he's somebody mm. that doesn't really want to hurt anybody he's just incredibly frantic he's very sloppy he's having trouble controlling the hostages and at the end of the day he has a heart so he's doing things like letting the hostages go to the bathroom and making sure mm. they're okay. And it's yeah. really this portrayal of a man who's very down on his luck mm. and in a really desperate situation. And he just goes about it the wrong way. It's later revealed that Sonny is actually married to a woman. He has a, a couple children, but he is also in a relationship with a trans woman. And he's doing this because he needs money for her to have a sex reassignment a surgery. Wow. So you do find that 70s. out. Yeah. Like so amazing in American yeah. cinema. Yeah, exactly. You do start to learn more about Sonny's character. And even though he does have good intentions f- for doing this, he really is a man who just exudes chaos. You know, even mm. his lover who eventually comes down to the hostage site when the police are, are talking to her, she's saying, yeah, I didn't ask him to do this. His love is mm. too much. He's very toxic. He's mm. incredibly chaotic. Yeah, it's interesting. But the film also shows how these situations can just escalate. escalate yeah, <laughs> especially when not everyone on your team has the same perspective as you do about yeah. like, the hostages. Right, and we got into this when we talked about Waco. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, as well. Yeah, it just escalates and uh, Chris Sarandon plays the hostage negotiator and he has to be the world's worst hostage negotiator (laughs) but this film is 70s gritty so it's a lot of frantic camera work do you feel the uh, the stress of the city it's New York and we've been talking about New York so you really feel that in this film it's also really hot it's called dog day afternoon because the dog days are the dog days of summer Mm -hmm. right and this film, their air conditioning gets cut and everybody is sweating and dehydrated. So literally all the hostages need a drink actually, <laughs> of just plain water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. The one thing that really stands out to me about this film is the very opening sequence, like the opening mm-hmm. title sequence where it's like a radio playing, kind of giving news reports and it's like going over the city of New York. Yeah. And it really stands out to me and I as you like as soon as you talked about dog day afternoon I was like 
yeah, this is another example where the city of New York is another character mm. in the film. It's like yeah. part of the storytelling. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the bystanders were actors. There were a lot of extras, but some were just bystanders of the city of New York as right. well. So the crowd just grew every day that they were shooting. Yeah, it's also a media circus too. You, you know, he became a bit of a sensation. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I can't believe I hadn't seen this. This this movie was nominated for six Oscars. It won for best original screenplay. Hmm. And yeah, now I can say that I watch Dog Day Afternoon. I don't need to catch heck anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Certain friends of mine. (laughs) Yeah. So now it's time for our In Focus segment. Each week we pick an artist and take a look at their filmography and break down the projects and moments that made them the fascinating creatives that they are today. So join us while we attempt to narrow down a career so massive, so explosive, so larger than life, our entire beings may shatter into oblivion, attempting to get a firm grip on this legend's career. A few good men have tried their hand at the risky business of silver screen stardom but this man stands tall uh <laughs> tallish um <laughs> uh no um not, not actually tall <laughs> uh this man stands as one of the last great hollywood movie stars he's an american-made tomcat with all the right moves and he's pumping out so many action blockbusters he's showing his bank accounts the color of money and making it rain man <laughs> so yeah. grab those apple boxes and ladies take off your high heels because we're about to head straight into this mission impossible feat of putting this motorcycle riding, cliff jumping, building hopping, race car driving, bone breaking, couch jumping, sexy vampiring, pool hustling, L. Ron Hubbard loving, Tom Cruise in focus. He's in the building! (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That was fantastic. I felt that I just needed to introduce him with as much intensity yeah. that he brings. You're right. <laughs> to You're the right. Screen. Did you do it okay. whilst hanging off the side of the CN Tower? Ooh, because my otherwise. Gosh. <laughs> you know what? While I was writing it, I just went out and sat on the balcony and just had a little height. <laughs> and you know what? Relatively speaking, with you and Tom Cruise, that's about the same. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we had to narrow down Tom's career and pick out his defining moments in movies. And we had to decide on what movie is his on the map. Mm. And we decided to go with Risky Business from 1983, Mm -hmm. directed by Paul Brickman, starring a baby-faced Tom Cruise on the verge of manhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quick yes. synopsis via IMDb in case you aren't familiar with Risky Business. A Chicago teenager is looking for fun at home while his parents are away, but the situation quickly gets out of hand. And by out of hand, they mean turns his parents' house into a brothel and yeah. <laughs> ruin a lot of their personal belongings. <laughs> it's the more scandalous Ferris Bueller. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I have to, like... Okay, what is this movie? What is I this don't movie? Know. In terms of excellent, genre, no, really, like who, who is the demographic for this? I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, this is a 
movie about teenagers, but like this is not for fourteen year olds or fifteen year olds. But like adults aren't gonna be like relating to like who is this for? Yeah. I started watching this film and realized that I truly could care less about this storyline. I was like, oh fuck, I'm so over these young, spoiled rich boy sex comedies. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, it's so odd. I mean, I actually, I'd seen it before and then I was watching it today, right before we started recording. And, you know, right off the bat, I'm like, I hate this movie so much. This is toxic masculinity. This is why boys think they just have to fuck everything. But then it takes this like weird turn where I read, I was reading reviews about it, like it's a satire on you know, rich suburban families. I'm like, but is it? It No. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, it's not. It's such an odd movie. It's so strange. It totally is in some ways, but it's just like, yeah. this is a really, really, <laughs> I, I had, again, I had never seen this actually. And so when I watched it this week, I guess I had an idea. The only thing I know about this movie is that famous underwear dancing scene with right. like, you got the whole time rock and roll. Yeah. Which, does actually live up to all the hype and it is fantastic mm-hmm. and he's so fucking hot in it but <laughs> I, that is the only thing i knew from this so i thought it was just i basically thought it was like a ferris bueller type of movie and then it's like wait what, what? and there's like full <laughs> frontal nudity and yeah. like to, i'm sorry tom cruise in a sex scene which also just like I'm so not it's been tom like cruise. you know how listen you know how i feel about tom cruise in sex scenes okay <laughs> Like Tom Cruise has a no. sex scene with a prostitute in his parents' house. And the way that sex scene starts out is her full frontal nudity. And then the patio door is just bursting open it's and amazing. all this wind coming in. Like it's, I thought it was a fantasy sequence because there's like a couple fantasy sequences previous to this. And then that happened. And I was like, oh, no, that was uh, real. Okay. I, I absolutely <laughs> also thought that was a, full, a fantasy because how else could you have possibly, what else could you think about it? But. And um, then it and then it cuts to him having sex with her on a, an office chair, and mm-hmm. the TV's on, and the American flag is blowing in the wind on the TV. Like, right? <laughs> like, what is this movie? Well, and so begins Tom Cruise as a movie yes. star. Yes. Yeah. And this is where it began, and mm-hmm. all these characteristics that we're saying is something that molds him into yeah. the movie star that he is. And Risky Business was like a, a modest hit. It made $64 million at the box office, but it did get him one of his most iconic roles as Maverick in Top Gun, which we've mentioned before in the podcast, and that movie grossed $357 million, and made Tom Cruise a household name. So that being said, <laughs> yes, this is, I didn't find this to be a great film in oh God, no. in any way, any way, shape or form. But this, this film is very iconic and it did propel Tom Cruise's career. It brings us into our first film of the big three. And I have to say, this was incredibly hard to narrow down. Mm. Tom Cruise's filmography is all big yeah, <laughs> yeah. for the most like part like literally yeah. couldn't really be bigger and mm-hmm. and there are just so many like yes mm-hmm. so if there is one that we didn't include in the big three it's not that we don't think it's big mm-hmm. <laughs> impactful we just decided to go with with these three so the first one is actually very fitting for this episode that film is cocktail from <laughs> 1988 directed by Roger Donaldson, and it stars Tom Cruise and 80s it girl Elizabeth Shue. Mm. Haven't mm. seen her in a while. 
No. She's great. She's great in the first season of The Boys, I have to say. Right. She is on The Boys. Yeah. Yeah. Quick synopsis via IMDb, if you are not familiar with Cocktail. A talented New York City bartender takes a job at a bar in Jamaica and falls in love. Ah, <laughs> uh, that sounds nice. But this movie is drama. This movie is <laughs> drama. I, I realized that I've only seen bits and pieces of Cocktail, never in its entirety. And this movie is an actual riot. I was dying <laughs> watching this movie today it is so ridiculous yeah so ridiculous i laughed my ass off ridiculous but entertaining but Mm -hmm. watching this really made me stop and think about what tom cruise represents and it's Mm. what we were starting to touch on with risky business this is especially his early career he is pure intensity and adrenaline Mm, and he is the white male american dream that's what he is he is go for the gold be the best tom cruise isn't just going to be a bartender he's going to be the (laughs) best bartender he's not just a pilot he's going to be the best pilot he has absolutely no experience as a professional race car driver but he is going to be the best He's not going to be a mediocre teenage pimp. He's going to be the best teenage pimp. He's going to be the teenage best teenage pimp. pimp. He is constantly <laughs> enterprising. And yeah. it is tied to a character who is always some sort of protege. Right. Mm. In his early career. He's a protege with zero experience, but he's mm. just a natural. He's that all-American kid who just has the right stuff. <laughs> like, it is yes. so true. Literally, that, so is, true. that is the Tom Cruise archetype. And he's always presented as some sort of underdog, even though he has everything right. going for him. Right. And this and Cocktail is just an example of that. I was laughing my ass off. Like he is just this kid that goes to a big city. He walks into this bar and he meets Doug, played by Australian actor Brian Brown. And he has zero experience, but he, of course, becomes a protege right away. He gets the job, even though he was completely awful as a bartender. He didn't even know what a martini was. And I was like, well, that's that is white privilege. He just walks in and gets a job. I was like, wow. okay." it's like two days later, he's the best bartender in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Like in a matter of zero time, because Tom Cruise cannot stay bad at something for too long. But this is what's amazing about Tom Cruise is that that is also not just the Tom Cruise movie star archetype, but that is also Tom Cruise. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. Tom Cruise himself isn't just he, like an action star. He's the best the, action the star best. ever. And, and, his fil- and his film career took <laughs> off that fast as well. Yeah. yeah. So he eventually goes to Jamaica and of course he becomes the best bartender in Jamaica. Suddenly. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just so bam, bam, bam. Like it is this constant striving this film is ridiculous. I think there actually was potential for it to actually explore the money-hungry Wall Street energy mm. of the 80s and the real life of a bartender. But it's this became more melodrama than any yeah. sort of like mm-hmm. biting analysis of the time. But it just, it just really, I have, I never thought of Tom Cruise in that way before but i've been exploring his earlier stuff and i was like wow Mm. okay yeah you're the american dream the white male american dream (laughs) that's tom cruise yeah Yeah. so then he does you know some smaller films 
Rain Man, Days of Thunder, Far and Away, A Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview with a Vampire. You may have heard of one or two of those. Which brings us to the next film on our big three, which is from 1996, directed by Brian De Palma. And that launched one of the most successful film franchises in the history of cinema. And that is, of course, mm-hmm. Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Just to put it into perspective, the films so far have grossed three and a half billion dollars. Wow. Insanity. Yeah. And he's got two more coming. <laughs> so yeah, it's the story of Ethan Hunt, an American secret agent. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, and blah, blah, blah. We Y'all know what Mission Impossible <laughs> is, okay? This movie is really, really good. I, I hadn't seen it. it in like probably 20 years, and it's great. Tom Cruise is so young here, but and so hot. <laughs> he's so gorgeous <laughs> in this. And what's really cool about this film is that it introduced us to Tom Cruise, the action star. So he right. had done kind of action movies, like Top Gun or whatever, but this is him as an action star, where he's doing the most of his own stunts, giant like action set pieces. It's a different kind of a role for him, and it's that's how we know him now, mostly, 24 mm-hmm. years later. Of course, the most memorable scene is when Tom Cruise breaks into the Langley and mm-hmm. is hanging suspended in that white room. And the, like, sweat dripping onto the lens of his glasses and then, like, falling onto this floor that is super sensitive. And he catches it in the palm of his hand. And what's so brilliant about this scene is that it's, like, virtually silent. Yeah. And the tension is so epic. And I was, like, talking about this film with my friend. And he said, oh, my God, I just remember that one scene. And then, like, perfectly described it. And that's Mm -hmm. the only thing that he remembers about this film. But that scene was so impactful that he remembers every detail about it. Yeah. So cool. There was just something about this film that, and I've seen the other Mission Impossibles and the franchise has really evolved and it's changed, but I don't think any of the other films have captured the same feeling as this first one. There is this, just this feeling of style and espionage and thrill and the other ones are thrilling too, but there's something really special about this first one. I think maybe it's because it's it's espionage in a way that's a little slightly more grounded. Like this yeah. film is much slower and less like frenetically action paced than the subsequent films, particularly the most recent ones. They've just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, exactly. Compared to what he does now. But yeah, this film, massive, obviously. The whole franchise keeps him as like one of the most relevant action stars we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Okay, next, another film from 1996, Jerry Maguire, written and directed by Cameron Crowe, starring Tom Cruise, Renee Zellweger, and Cuba Gooding Jr. A description courtesy of IMDb. When a sports agent has a moral epiphany and is fired for expressing it, he decides to put his new philosophy to the test as an independent agent with the only athlete who stays with him and his former colleague. This is what 90s movie dreams are made of. Yes, 100%. (laughs) Yeah. Are you serious? (laughs) I mean, it's megawatt star with so much charisma it's sports it's romance it's two supporting breakout performances and it's the first film with uh jonathan lipnecki uh one of the cutest child actors ever right i feel like him versus the sprouse brothers who were in uh big daddy they were also very cute in the (laughs) 90s but yeah this movie is just you know the 
all the perfect ingredients coming together. And this movie is Tom Cruise. You know, Jerry Maguire, lead character. It is Tom Cruise. He has so much energy and emotion. (laughs) And one thing that we haven't spoken about yet is his run. He has a great run. <laughs> Tom Cruise oh, he, he, is like born to run on film. But he has he has a full on run even in risky business. I know he does running up the stairs to the yes. school. I thought about that. My favorite Tom Cruise run is the, uh, Vanilla Sky when he's running through empty mm. Times Square. Absolutely, that's amazing. just one of my favorite. Yeah, yeah. But like he can run so well, so fast. <laughs> like it's, it's like in every really fucking funny. movie. It's in every movie, but I understand because he's so good at it. But yeah, I mean, the intensity of this movie, all I kept thinking about was this is the guy that jumps on the couch, you know? Like, unfortunately now, that's like what I think about every time I see him being intense. But this movie is great. I love it so much. I've seen it a couple of times. It's It coined so many catchphrases. Show me the money. You complete me. You had me at hello. So many epic lines in this film. It's a great Um, script. It is a really good script. It was nominated for five Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Tom, and won the Best Supporting Actor for Cuba Gooding Jr., and it grossed over $270 million. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that I will say about Jerry Maguire, you know, there's aspects of it that don't necessarily age well, and the movie basically is about the male ego. Hmm. But like but Tom Cruise's movie. movies are yes. a, all about the male ego, right? Mm-hmm. The right. fragile male ego. That is yeah. Tom Cruise, and we do have to discuss the fact that everything <laughs> that Tom Cruise does is an overcompensation, <laughs> always. Everything. Right. And you think it that is... that's because of his tiny dick? Yes, <laughs> he has definitely has tiny dick energy for sure. This is it is exactly it a hundred percent but it is everything oh. it's an overcompensation everything even when mm. he's in love it's an overcompensation right. intense 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 yeah yeah even when he's crying it's like the most intense crying i've ever seen <laughs> like it's not like subtle delicate tears it's like really intense <laughs> i think he's just a person that wants to squeeze every drop out of life that he can like here, he is, it, here comes Edison. Here comes yeah. the optimism. He is living <laughs> his best life uh, exactly how he'd like to, to its complete fullest, right? Is like he even as as I think he is. I think if he uh, if he wanted to be doing something else, he would be doing something else. I don't know. Like, Scientology's got him by the so, balls. Scientology so. and also that whole interview about you know. Brooke Shields and depression and her using medication Mm -hmm. and Tom Cruise. I mean, Tom Cruise, I mean, no way. He can beat depression. He doesn't need medication. He he doesn't think psychiatrists should be, should exist. No, no. (laughs) Why? You're Tom Cruise. You can beat pesky depression. Like, it's just so much. I'm untouchable. Like, it is just... Okay, Edison. Well, we're already getting into some Tom Cruise antics. So why don't we talk about his pop culture moment? <laughs> sure. His pop culture moment. I, I mean, Tom Cruise. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's no shortage. Tom Cruise literally, like, 
is pop culture and has been for yeah. over 30 years. But on May 23rd, 2005, Tom Cruise declared his undying love to Katie Holmes by oh, enthusiastically boy. jumping up on Oprah's couch, prompting the legendary talk show host to say, He's gone. He's gone. The boy is gone. Too true, Oprah. Too true. Yeah, God, yeah. that was so weird and not a th- I I just I still don't know what I believe about that. I think what's really interesting about Tom Cruise is what's really the pop culture moment for Tom Cruise is his relationships in general and the mm. speculation. Right. All of the secrecy of his private life. We don't really know fucking anything about what it was like between him and Nicole Kidman. They have children, yeah. adopted children together. No one knows shit about that marriage. All yeah. of the rumors about what it was like for them on Eyes Wide Shut, like nobody knows. Katie mm-hmm. Holmes, they divorced in 2012, so much for the couch jumping, but like it, <laughs> no one knows. No one knows. It's all a mystery. Well, and I mean, all of the Scientology information and the fact that Katie Holmes basically had to like disappear in the middle of the night in order to actually escape. And, and also all the gay rumors for years. Like, well, it weirds me out when I see him on screen having sex with a woman. I just, I can't, it just, there's something where I'm like, no, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) No. I still find him so, so dead sexy. I mean, I do too. And I I texted you guys when I was watching Jerry Maguire today to say like, he's hot. He's a smoke show. And Jerry Maguire. See, it's, he has never, Tom Cruise has never worked for me in that way. At all. No, There's but that something type, I don't... all American white jockey boy I know, has, I know. is not is the furthest thing from your type. True. You want lanky, <laughs> greasy hipster goth. <laughs> <laughs> the lankier and paler, the better. Yes. <laughs> Ethan Hawk teeth, perfect. <laughs> uh. Um, but yes, Tom Cruise, like, I mean, what can you say? He's so fucking pop culture, it's insane. So there you yeah. go. Sinclair, what is his hidden job? Does he have one? No. Is that possible? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, Fair. he doesn't. So, yeah. you know, his first credit was the film Endless Love. He had a, a smaller part in that. And yeah, there's, you know, a couple films at the beginning of his filmography, but they're not hidden. There are no Mm. hidden gems for Tom Cruise. Everything is larger than life. I was thinking, okay, well, maybe I could watch The Color of Money and talk about that. And I was like, I'm not watching another film where Tom Cruise is a protege. Natural. I just cannot. So I wanted to mention a, a film that I just thought was really good, and that's Edge of Tomorrow from yes. 2014, directed by Doug Lyman. Not hidden at all, but it definitely came out at a time when there was Mission Impossible, but also a, a lot of other Tom Cruise action films that were just in the, in this flow of just kind of streaming. There was just a couple of years where there was just a bunch of Tom Cruise action films. There was Jack Reacher, Oblivion. The Mummy, Night and Day, and Edge of Tomorrow. Quick synopsis, a soldier fighting aliens gets to relive the same day over and over again. The day restarting every time he dies. So it's like a science fiction Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen it. It's really Oh, it's actually really, really fucking... I rewatched this just... It wasn't for the podcast, I guess. But So I guess I just rewatched it. But I rewatched this film less than a month ago. It's like actually... 
excellent. And Emily Blunt is so fucking good in it too. And yeah. she's ripped. Oh yeah. <laughs> she's great in it. This is a film yeah. that is surprisingly good where you watch and you're like, wait, what? It's like really good. <laughs> okay, I want to watch it. It ended up being, yeah, so much better than I expected. Oblivion is also good, but it's not as good as this one. It's not as good mm-hmm. as um, Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, it's just a really fun watch. Yeah, really good film. All right. Okay, Helen, what's up yes. and coming for Tommy? Oh, little, little Oh my God, Tom I'm Cruise. so excited about one of these. Um, okay, well, coming up for, for Tom is either a sequel or he's in space. Yes. So <laughs> in 2021, we have Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> right. And we have Mission Impossible 7. Seven. In 2022, we have Mission Impossible 8. Wow. And in production, we've got Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat, which is a follow-up to Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> then there's also a Tom Cruise SpaceX production. And all that we know about this is that it's actually shot in outer space. Oh, yes. my God. Tom Cruise is now actually doing stunts in outer space. He is. Literally. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I cannot wait for this film. This is... So he's going to be... Up in Elon Musk's <laughs> SpaceX shuttle. Yeah. Directed yeah. by Doug Lyman, who's awesome. He did Edge of Tomorrow. Right. And Tom Cruise is actually going to be shooting this shit in actual space. Like, come on. He's not just going to be the best action star. He's going to be the best fucking action star in space. Wow. In the in universe. Space. He's conquered everything universe. he can conquer on Earth, you guys. So it's time to, to go outside. It's so amazing. Planet Earth. And then there's also Luna Park, which is a group of renegade space workers venture to the moon to steal an energy source. So, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, it's either sequel or space. (laughs) Take your pick. (laughs) Well, guys, there's only one way to end this epic in focus (laughs) of Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. And that's by playing a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. With his yes. filmography. So, Edison, why don't you start us off? What film of Tom Cruise's do you want to marry? Okay, I'm, I I mean, obviously I would like marry Jerry Maguire because it's like the loveliest. But I'm going to say that I'm going to marry Collateral, um, mm. directed by Michael Mann. Odd choice, odd choice, okay. Only just because this movie is amazing and it, it is, is really Tom good. Cruise being like the most and the best contract killer ever. But... <laughs> It is like, it is a different type of a character for him to see him as on that side as like kind of the villain. And it's just such a good movie. Glatterall is really good. Yeah, it is. Okay, well, I am going to marry Jerry Maguire because it is the loveliest movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I actually do think Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger have great chemistry. There's also that scene where they're like after their first date and they're making out at the door and he's Mm -hmm. just like kissing her entire body. It's so sexy. It's like a very lengthy first kiss makeouts after after your first date scene so Mm. yeah i'll marry that sinclair Sinclair. okay well i'm gonna marry minority report just Mm. because i love this movie so much it's one of my favorite sci-fi movies i just i was obsessed with minority report when it first came out and i still will watch it and it's terrifying the concept of minority report is terrifying yeah 
And like just the the cars in the world and Tom Cruise yeah. actually kept that red car that he drives in the film, oh, that futuristic cool. car. He kept that car after. Of <laughs> course he did. I just love Minority Report. It's so, so good. So I'm going to marry it. Just I, I'll watch it forever. Yeah. It. Okay, Edison, what film do you want to fuck? Interview with a Vampire. Tom Cruise as Lestat and Brad Pitt as Louis as like very homoerotic. <laughs> so homoerotic. <laughs> like <laughs> immortal vampires. So sexy. It's so sexy. I would absolutely fuck that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Helen, how about you? I'm going to fuck Vanilla Sky. Mm. We've got Penelope Cruz. We've got Cameron Diaz and, you know, and Tom Cruise. Uh, sexy movie. Scary, creepy, terrifying movie, but sexy movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know what you're fucking, Sinclair. You guys could guess what I'm going to pick. Of course, Eyes Wide Shut. Of course. It's Eyes Wide Shut. Of yeah. course. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> your favorite romance. My favorite. Audition was your favorite rom-com and my, Eyes Wide Shut's your favorite romance My favorite movie. romance film. <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut. You know what? I already have those party masks, too. Yeah, I know. You yes. So, I mean, password Fidelio, y'all. <laughs> Password Fidelio. <laughs> okay, Edison, you have to kill one. What's it going to be? Before I kill my film, I just have to say, like, how many movies have we mentioned in, while discussing Tom Cruise's yeah. filmography? We must have mentioned at least 20 that are all at fucking least, epic yeah. and good. So, I, I mean, like, I will kill one, but it's The Mummy. The Mummy remake <laughs> from 2017. No, just... Just no. Even Tom Cruise can't save this particular monster universe. Uh, mm-hmm. No. I love the old mummy with yes. Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Rachel Weisz, there was such a like fun a charm. kind of charm. slapsticky, campy charm about it. And this was not yeah. that. Uh, it was just real bad. How about you, Helen? I'm going to kill Rock of Ages. What? I haven't seen it, but it, it looks terrible. No. Yes. No. Yes, Sinclair, back me up. Okay, no. I was, I was going to kill Rock of Ages. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. I yes, love this Edison. movie. Why? No, it's all for Jones. all the shitty mu- movie musicals. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> okay, well, I, yeah, I was going to kill Rock of Ages, which opens me up to maybe kill something else. Because mm. that's already <laughs> that's already dead. Okay, I haven't actually seen this, but I'm gonna kill it just because the t- title just. Ugh, Fair. I'm I, I'm gonna kill American Made. <laughs> it just sounds yeah. Just, ugh. Yeah. American. American Made was actually better than I expected. I watched this on like a Tuesday night, just thinking <laughs> like, eh, I'm in the mood for that. Right. And yeah. it actually was. Again, it's another Doug Liman film, but it actually was like much better than I expected. Was it amazing? No, but it was it was better than I thought. So mm. well, you're killing one that's at least decent. I know, but I I have no desire to watch it at any point. So goodbye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail dot com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes. Head to our website, TalkMovieToMePodcast.com. And please become a Patreon member, Patreon.com slash TalkMovieToMe. You will get access to last week's Halloween special, as well as every episode from seasons one and two. I am Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Thanks. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. 
I'll let you know where I'm going. And I won't be on holiday.